So this is, as you can see on the screens behind me, this is another sermon in the Art of Christian Living series, where we take a topic that just is part of what the Christian life is and looks like and is to embody, and we just hold it up, and we proclaim it, and we encourage you with it. So that is what we'll be doing. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. And this morning, our topic is submission. So I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 2, we'll read the chapter in entirety. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we simply ask that you would move amongst us, that you would work, and that you would bless us as we look to your Son, Jesus Christ, and stand in awe of him. And I pray that it have a profound impact on all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. A sermon on submission. The goal of this sermon will not be to argue for the beauty of submission. The Bible has clearly done that. Rather, the goal of this sermon will be to help us see the beauty of submission so that we might have a soft heart posture and a love for our King, Jesus. The Bible displays submission, again, as beautiful. Think of the text we just read. Here are these nations, here are these people, they're raging Let's cast their bonds apart and let them have no way and no authority over us. And yet God in his mercy holds out his son and says, kiss the son. Kiss him and know a refuge, no blessing. So submission is a beautiful thing. Some of the text even says to rejoice over. We could think of other texts that say similar things. Boaz, when he was praising Ruth for all that she was doing, he said, you, Ruth, are someone who's left your family and come and serve Naomi. But really, what was he praising her for? Because she chose Yahweh as her God, and she took rest under the shelter of his wings. 
Submission in the Bible is beautiful. Ephesians 5 tells us more of this beauty. It says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord of the Lord is. And it says, be filled with the Spirit. What does being filled with the Spirit look like? The end of that, that section says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is a beautiful thing. It's a Spirit-filled thing. So the purpose is to highlight the beauty of submissions so that we might be encouraged. We might praise our King Jesus because it is beautiful. Grow in our reverence of him. And we all need to see this beauty because the Bible clearly states that there's a bit of a battle in our own hearts. The flesh and the spirit, the flesh which represents that old man that's not made new, that bucks against submission, But the Spirit's presence that has made us alive, helped us see the beauty of Jesus, longs to serve him. So there's a battle. We can buck, even in this room, against submitting to Jesus. And as we think of outside of this building, on a a societal and global scale, it's like a tug-of-war match. We're made in the image of God. We were made to be under that authority. And yet, so we're driven towards it, and yet it can be like a, a not now, when, what, kind of why kind of a deal. I, maybe we'll submit, here's this government, it's good for a season, but then a few years, we're, we need something new. We're always striving for that perfect government, that perfect authority, and it can never come. And if we were honest, we could look back on our life and say, I even have no right to continue on as if I can be king of my own life. If you're in Christ this morning, we can say that, we know that intuitively. So this morning, we're going to look and see things that we need to see to keep that humble heart of submission alive and well in this building. So we're going to do that by seeing the beauty. Sorry, we're going to do that by seeing the God we need to see, the rebellion we need to see, the king we need to see, and what others need to see. The God we need to see, the rebellion we need to see, the king we need to see, and what others need to see. Before we get into that first point, I think we do need to stop and just get clarity. What are we talking about when we're talking about submission? What does that word mean? What does it look like? And I think we take some of those phrases in the scriptures we just read, we can help us get a, get a, get a definition. But I was also helped this week, I was reading Tim Chalice, and he reminded me that submission is not subjection. Think of subjection. There's a king, there's a ruler, there's a governor, and to get the people to do what he wants, he exerts his force. If cruelty is needed, he'll use cruelty. If fear is needed, he'll use fear. If opposing harsh boundaries on people, harsh things, he's going to do it to get what he wants, to get that submission. But that's not Christian submission. Tim Shaw is reminding me that submission is first willing that when Christ wins us, and he does conquer us, but it's in such a different way. He wins us by his love and by his grace, by his beauty, by his power, by his service. So submission is willing. It's a willing submission. Let's take willing and then the phrase of refuge, and let's make a definition. Submission is willfully arranging yourself under King Jesus for reverence of King Jesus. Submission, willingly placing yourself under the authority of King Jesus out of reverence for King Jesus. So in our longing to let that be so, let's see the God that we need to see. Flip with me to Genesis chapter 1. 
Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 1 of chapter 1. It simply says this, in the beginning, God. That's an interesting place to start your sermon. Why go back to Genesis 1? Why go back to here? And it's because I think, again, we've said that there's a part of our flesh that doesn't want to submit. We can think all kinds of things that are unhealthy about submission. So when we go back to Genesis, it's to get a big view of God. It's to stand and read in his word about his greatness, his power, his authority. In the beginning was God. Reality that we know it, all the things that were made flowed out of the boundless and blessed God. He spoke things into existence with his very word. How powerful is he? Think about what he made when we think about submission. He set the sun and set the earth under it in perfect orbit to sustain life. He set the boundaries of the seas, the moon and the stars. Everything that grows and has life flowed out of him. It was perfect and it was beautiful. So we need to see that power. We need to see that it was created by his word. But if you notice, when we read through these verses, it says, look down at verse 10, at the end of verse 10. It just says, God saw that it was good. Why go back to Genesis? To remind ourselves that God is powerful, yes, but that God is good. All the things that God made, he looked upon and said, that is good. And it's good, not just because it's healthy and it actually is good. It's good because it's made by God who is goodness. All those designs. And in verse 27, look at verse 27 with me. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And that too was good. And they display God's goodness. Everything that God's word created, everything that God's word said encapsulated this. That we can know him and his goodness. That we could have perfect fellowship with him then and that time. And that it was good. Everything that Adam and Eve did was reflection of his goodness and his power. And not just that, it was when they were married in a one flesh union. Them together displayed as a married couple the goodness of God and the glory of God. Why go back to Genesis? Simply this, to see that our God's designs are good. Living in relationship with God under his rule, in his place, is good. You know what we need to remind ourselves of, what we're called to submit, is that God is not just God who's powerful, God who creates but that God is our Father, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of one of the first few words a Christian says in Romans. It says the Spirit comes into our life and we cry, Abba, Father. It's our Father who has called us to kiss the Son. It's our Father in heaven who loves us, who has called us to submit to one another. So let's remember that God's designs are good and living with him. In this brief picture of Genesis 1 and 2, we see that blessedness, that harmony. And we need to remind ourselves of it. God is Father. God's designs are good. And that's in good encouragement. God is, God is loving and kind. 
And we see through that, through the pages of Scripture all over the place. Even think of the, the presence of God that His Word keeps us in in the garden. How beautiful is it when you see a child or a daughter running up to their parents in this building and just embracing them, just being in their presence? It's so natural. And that's the faith that God calls us to faith like a child, childlike faith. Trust the Lord, trust our Father, for He is good. To be in his presence is good. To have him who designs our life is good. So church, remind yourself that. In life, in the station you're in right now, God is over it. He's my father. And what he's calling to me to do is good. And it will glorify him. So there's that thing that we need to see, and that's those, those brief chapters in Genesis. It's a God we need to see, a Father we need to see. But we also need to see a rebellion. So there Adam and Eve were. God was king. It was obvious who was ruler, the very one who spoke things into existence, who holds them together. There was no question. But yet temptation rose, and Adam and Eve, Adam was not able to keep us in that garden. God as king was deposed. And as if God can actually be disposed, deposed of his kingship, but Adam and Eve actually made a decision to step out of that healthy boundary. Think again of our definition. Out of that healthy arrangement that submission reveals to us. And life was agonizing. Alienation, disharmony in relationship with God. It was bad. And rebellion, that's a rebellion we need to see. And we might not think of it like that. If you walked out of this building and you pulled the first 25 people you met and you said, hey, do you think you're in rebellion to God today? Well, they might not say that. They might say, no, I actually think I'm spiritual or I'm, I'm not, I think I have his favor right now. But if you follow that up with, hey, let's open up his word and let's have it speak into our hearts together, into every nook and cranny, every sphere of your life, I think you'd meet that rebellion. And sometimes we see it in ourselves, a rejection of God. So I want us to see the rebellion for a single purpose, to see that it is submission that lies at the root of that tree with that bad fruit, that we say, Lord, I don't want you as my king. I want to burst your bonds apart. I want to rid your cords from me. What lies at the root? Turn with me to Psalm 81. Psalm 81 begins with praise. Look at verse 1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. So it's a song calling the people to praise. But then he goes down in verse 4 and he, he reminds the people of something. For it is a statute in Israel, a rule of God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. David is reminding the people of God that they were rescued. A people delivered out of slavery, of subjection to a foreign land and a foreign people. And listen to the call of verse 8. Hear, O my people. While I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am Yahweh your God. 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He's pointing to himself there. I am faithful. Oh, would you but listen to me. But something was clogging their ears. Look at verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. There's God, Yahweh, their covenant God. And he's saying, I've delivered you. I've freed you from bondage. Listen to me. Honor me with your ears and your life and your heart. And something in their heart said, no, maybe here and there, but I'm not going to fully submit to you. And how sad is that when we read 11 and 12 of that same chapter? But my people did not listen to my voice So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that my people would listen to me. The generosity of God, the benevolence of God to shower upon blessing if they would arrange themselves under him willingly, looking to him alone. Let there be no foreign God amongst you. Why? Because no one can compare with God. No one can compare with his generous, limitless amount of love and generosity and safety and beauty. He would supply everything they needed. Open up your hearts, open up your mouths, and I will fill it. That's God the Father. If you walked out of this building and you looked in your own heart, you looked around at the structures in our society, is there a structure that you want to put yourself unto, under willingly that can provide this lasting benevolence, this care, this victory? Is there a world philosophy that you're buying into today that can compare with the living God? If you would but listen to me, I would pour my very self out into your heart, into your life. I want you to ponder that today. Get your eyes on the God of the Scriptures the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take no confidence in your own counsel and submit yourself to him. Save yourself a world of pain. A world of pain. Go read Romans 1 and go to the end. Don't go to just those verses you know are in there. When it talks about life is full of anger and malice and evil and hatred and envy and strife, that's the fruit of any worldly philosophy out there today. Because God's not behind it. That's the fruit of any structure that you're trusting to be your refuge in your life because it's not from God. Oh, would you but listen to me. And God will answer. I think about my first, one of my first jobs was on the farm. I had four bosses on the farm. Four. And there was one employee. It was me. Just one. And you know what? I was a bear to work with. I would hate it if there was a video reel that could capture all those days on the farm for me before the Lord humbled me. I thought living as I thought I was wise in that work structure, it didn't bear a lot of fruit. It bore zero fruit. And it was only until I opened my heart and listened to the Lord, saw the own futility of my own counsel, that I could, by God's grace, bow the knee And eventually, over time, relationships were healed. I was not nice to my grandfather, to my uncle, to my dad, and my hired man, the hired man, Larry Pelegi, that worked there with us. 
So the Lord's grace was needed. And I, I, if, if you're a young person today, save yourself many pangs and much time and submit to the Lord. So we need to see that rejection. And we're a healthier church when we see and admit that that still remains in us. And if that's the, the, someone mentioned it today already, we went through the book of Judges, life as our own king, we think it's right in our own eyes. And what's the answer? We need a better king. A king that can come and deal with the morality on a global level, a societal level, in my level on my own heart, that can bring real fruit, someone who's worthy of following, and we need to see this king. And the beauty of King Jesus is that he wins us into a life of submission by submission. So we need to get our eyes on King Jesus. So what do we need to see about King Jesus? We need to see that King Jesus submitted. It's a beautiful reality. Here is Jesus dawned on this earth, the Son of God, truly divine, the Son of Man, a true human. And he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He, in a sense, lived a, the, the, a life that this world has never seen, the most faithful person to ever live, the truest human to ever don this world, and he lived a life of submission. There are beautiful verses in John that display this. John chapter 530, just let me read it for you, says, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Isn't that amazing? It's not a conflicted will. Jesus isn't going to pronounce judgment. It's a holistic will. He judges, it's in line with God's will. Then he pronounces it. Here's Jesus. He says later, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's in essence a beautiful submissive statement. His food is to do the work and will of the Father. True submission. There has been no will that's been more perfectly aligned with God's ever than Jesus. And Jesus says, living in accordance with God's will, in harmony with him and his ways, doing his work is good. It's my food. Church, remind yourselves as you leave here today and even encourage someone else, the word of God in its whole of scripture is food for you. It's good. It sustained Jesus. Jesus loved to do the work of God, the will of God. His heart was perfectly displayed, the exact imprint of the nature of the Father displayed through the God the Son. What a person it would have been to be around when we read of him. Who wouldn't want this person to be your king? As he lived in perfect harmony with the will of God, sinners flocked to him. His heart full of compassion on display, loving and caring. So we've been one through submission. Get your eyes on him, the perfect human, the true human, Jesus Christ. We also need to see that, those exact verses because sometimes we think that yeah, okay, submission's from God, it's good, but it might not be my ultimate good. And Jesus says, no, it's my food to do the work of the Father. Submitting yourself to God's will is good. But what about when it gets low? What about when God asks us to go low and low and a bit lower? That's when we need to see King Jesus who went low. See, oftentimes when we read the scriptures and we see the call of submission on our health, self and in our homes and in our lives, we can think, that's stealing from me. Just some little bit, I'm decreasing in my value, my worth, my dignity, if I submit. But turn with me to Philippians 2, chapter, 5, uh, chapter 2, 5 to 11, and I want us to have this in mind when we read these scriptures. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6 now, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ask yourself this, when the Son of God took on flesh, made a part of his nature forever, when he walked this earth and was obedient even to the point of death, did Jesus, God the Son, ever decrease in value, ever decrease in worth, dignity, honor? No. No, he didn't. Actually, it's through that submission that God honors him in such a way. It says in verse Attend so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. His lifestyle, his victory causes people to bow the knee. Therefore, God has highly exalted him in verse 9. It's exactly because he submitted. It's exactly because he went to the cross and defeated the grave that he rose again and he took this seat of triumph and victory, the crown on his head. He is worthy. And it's because he submitted. That's why the text says, Have this mind yourselves, verse 5, amongst yourselves. God is condoning this lifestyle, this pattern to follow for every one of us here today. And it will not steal from you. It will honor God. And it doesn't just give glory to God. It blesses the horizontal. If you go back and read verses 2 through 4, there's any participation in the Spirit, any sympathy, any love. Have this mind amongst yourselves. What does it look like? That submission? Having other people's interests on the front of your heart and mind. Not being someone who's so consumed with themselves that they pursue selfish ambition at all costs. That's not what Jesus did. We need to get our eyes on a king who went low to devour away all those lies we believe about submission. Really, when you think about it, submission is like a beautiful diamond. Think about that diamond, that mineral cut and polished, and it's set, and the light comes in, and it bounces around, and refraction happens, and reflection happens, and it happens more beautifully at greater uh, sparkle when they put more cuts in it. And God takes our life and our heart and he puts a cut, a facet in that diamond. And one of them is submission. And when the light comes in and bounces around, it shines and sparkles all the greater. And it's nothing to do with ourselves. It shines the light, it shines the beauty of the gospel. That analogy is limited. But let submission be like that for you. It's a diamond to highlight the worth and value and reverence of Jesus Christ. We also need to see a king who suffered in his submission. Flip with me to 1 Peter 2. See, I think another thing when we think about submission is, okay, I'll submit, but I'm going to do so begrudgingly. 
I'm going to do so kind of half-heartedly because it's hard. And look at verses 21 and 25 with me. Here is the orbiting center of the surrounding verses, which call people to submit to government, call people to submit in the workplace, call wives to submit to their husbands. What can produce that and support that kind of lifestyle when it gets hard? Read these verses with me. For to this you have been called. Let's just pause there. As our Savior went, so will we. To this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. These verses are beautiful because Jesus, in his humility, in his obedience, in his submission, was perfect absolutely sinless. There was not a sin that showed up in any sphere of his life, any thought, any conversation. And yet he suffered and was reviled. Our suffering will never be as great as the sufferings of Jesus Christ. They will never be as unjust as the sufferings that he received. And yet did you see how he responded? He didn't threaten. He never put someone in their place. He never had his two cents heard. He never tried to correct those who were so unjustly opposing him. Oh, let me just put you in your place. That wasn't the heartbeat of Jesus. What is the heartbeat? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Church, in our submission, do we trust God? He just cast everything on God. He trusted him to do right, to honor him, to glorify him. And see how this not only is a beautiful pattern to follow. But look how he creates that submissive heart in us. The heart that Israel lacked in Psalm 81, how do we get that heart? Read with me verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That stubborn heart posture of ours might finally die. And a love and a heartbeat start to pulse for his righteousness. His character, his ways. Read on with me. By his wounds you've been healed. The extent of that love. Verse 25. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus, through submission, has won in his people a heart of submission to himself and to God. We're like sheep. And our best place, remember God is the good designer, is under his wings. Under the head Jesus Christ, under God the Father, the overseer of our souls. So he's saying, as you submit in government, in marriage, in your life, in your workplace, remember Jesus. Call him to mind. Remember the trustworthiness of God. And that light will shine through that diamond with such radiance, the world is going to have to notice. And that's why I ended with what others need to see Others need to see Jesus as a king worth following. Remember Ephesians 5 at the beginning? We submit to one another in here so that what for reverence of Jesus Christ. So when people walk in here and they see us going through a conflict as a church, they're going to see a people that are so bent on showing reverence to Christ. It shows up in how they treat one another. It shows up how often we pick up this Bible and read it. It shows how often I encourage someone and we encourage people with Jesus, not just with our own wisdom, 
There could just be a plethora of things we could put for this last section, what others need to see. They need to see Jesus, and it shines forth when we are submitting ourselves to him. Think about this table right now. What are we proclaiming together in harmony and unison that Jesus Christ came and he gave his life and his blood for sinners to redeem, to wash and save people like us? And he's coming back. Think of Genesis. God arranged the earth under the sun. In Revelation 21 and 22, the full realization of that submission and that arrangement that Jesus purchased for us will be on full display. When there is no more S-U-N and there's only the S-O-N. And his people are living under him forever. That's going to be good. So let's submit together now and encourage each other in submission. It doesn't decrease any of your identity, value, glory, worth, or personhood. It only gives glory to Jesus Christ. It holds him up high for this world to see. So I don't know what station you are. You can think about, you think about your gender, your workplace, married, single, where does God want me to submit? And there's great grace available for the heart that longs to do that. James 4 says, submit yourself to God, and that would be a burdensome thing. If right before, the previous verses didn't say that God gives much grace. So church, let's learn to love submission, to see the beauty of submission and to encourage submission. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are our good father, and we trust that your designs are for our best. And we trust even more that through those designs and our willing submission to them, that Jesus Christ, who is so worthy for every need to bow down to, will be seen radiating from our lives and this church. Amen.